0: Father, we thank you for just the grace of being able to gather together, um, to sit under your word, uh, to fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, even to sing uh, gospel-centered songs, uh, truths about just how you have saved us, how you did uh, save us from our hellbound race. And you showed us the cross and you showed us uh, just the gift of salvation. We we thank you for that. We we know that um, that is your unmerited favor to us. So, Lord, as we now turn to your word, and in particular, this passage in Galatians, and we meditate on the gospel, um, how the gospel is a gospel that we can trust in, um, how the gospel is not from man. It's not human invention, human tradition, uh, but it is from you. And it's powerful and uh, it is, yeah, it is life transforming. Uh, I pray that you would really make that clear to us through this passage. Uh, but even more so that you would make that clear to us in our hearts. Uh, We would really believe that we have this treasure of the gospel, the power of God for salvation. And so do that through the preaching of your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're in Galatians 1, 11 to 24 for tonight, and um, we started our study of the book of Galatians last time with a Bible study, we looked at the first 10 uh, verses of this book, Galatians 1, 1 to 10, it was essentially the, the context, the occasion, the themes, kind of the major themes of the letter, and just as a refresher, or in case you weren't there, Galatians was written by Paul and it was written in response to some false teachers. They were known as the Judaizers who had come in verse seven, distorting the gospel of Christ. Okay. That was the situation. And how did they do that? How did they distort the gospel of Christ? Well, it wasn't necessarily through like blatant heresy. They didn't deny the deity of Jesus. They didn't remove a part of the gospel, but they distorted the gospel of Christ. By adding to it, right, and specifically they added these other elements from Judaism, um, things like circumcision, things like the Old Testament law, They, they, they said to be a Christian you had to have faith in Christ, plus these Jewish customs and Jewish rituals. And this was extremely alarming for Paul. If you guys were here last time, that was one of the most obvious things in our passage, right? Just his tone um, of astonishment, just how fired up Paul was about what was going on. Why was he so upset? Well, because uh, Jesus plus something gospel is not a gospel at all. To try to add any sort of work, any sort of performance on top of Jesus's work on the cross in the gospel that is to depart from the gospel of grace entirely we saw that in verse eight of our passage last time he says but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the gospel we preach to you let him be accursed he says that twice and like we said last week this isn't just um, a galatians problem this isn't just something that was specific to their day and age i think many of us can relate to this temptation to feel like we have to perform, right? We feel like we have to justify or we have to validate yourself. Um, you feel like you have to earn acceptance, not just in the eyes of others, your peers, but also in your own relationship with God. And it can be very subtle, right? You can think to yourself, you know, if I just do this, if I just read my Bible, if I just keep up with my Bible reading plan, if my quiet times are consistent uh, if I experience victory over this particular sin or temptation in my life, then God will love me more, right? Or if I don't do this, if I give in to sin, God will love me less. If I associate with the right people, if I belong to the right group, if I dress or behave or talk a certain way, then I will be accepted. And nowadays, there might not be literal Pharisees that are, you know, walking through our doors on a Sunday morning in our church, but we can all relate to the Pharisee in our own hearts. We all have this legalistic spirit, this legalistic bent to perform, to feel like we have to earn God's salvation. And Paul says what's happening there when when you believe that, even in super, super subtle ways, is that you are turning to a different gospel. You are turning to a false gospel. You're you're turning to something else as the grounds of your standing and your acceptance before God. You're saying, Jesus, your work on the cross was not enough. I have to add this to it. And so Paul writes this letter of Galatians to defend and to unpack the one and only true gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. He says, you are saved. You are justified not by your own works but because of the free grace of God through faith in Christ. And so that was that's kind of the occasion, the, the main theme of Galatians. That's what we saw last week. As we move into our passage for tonight, we're kind of jumping into the body of the letter. And Paul starts his argument, or he starts his defense of the gospel. And I think um, as we jump in, it'd be helpful to understand kind of just the big picture of Galatians or, or Paul's flow, flow of thought. Okay, so the first two chapters, you can... I call it autobiography. Um, chapters three and four, you can uh, write theology. And then chapters five and six, you can use the word ethics. So before Paul gets to the content of the gospel or the message of the gospel, chapters three and four, before he gets to the implications of the gospel, chapters five and six, he's going to spend the first two chapters defending his call as an apostle, right? his autobiography. And I think for us, um, it, that might seem unimportant, right? It might seem like kind of boring. Why is he telling us this? Like we don't doubt Paul's apostleship. But think about why this is important. Because if Paul didn't really have the authority that he claimed that he did, then why should we, why should the Galatians listen to him rather than someone else? And when we're talking about his apostleship. We're talking about authority. We're talking about the source of where Paul's gospel comes from. And so as we as we begin, I want you to just think about this for yourself. How do you think about what the gospel is? What is the gospel to you? And I'm not asking that in like a relativistic you know, kind of way. Like, what does it mean to you? I'm not even talking about the message of the gospel itself or the message of the gospel and what it is. I'm talking about the gospel itself or the message itself. Like, what do you think of it? How do you look at it? Do you think of it just as a body of belief? Like, this is just a list of things that, you know, I subscribe to. Do you think of it as a faith that you just inherited from your parents? Um, Do you think about it as, you know, one religion, one way among many different ways? Or maybe for you, it's something that, you know, you've just been familiar with. Like, you've just always known your entire life. Or do you recognize that this gospel message, right, this thing that, If you're here at Lighthouse, you hear week in and week out that this gospel message is from God. Do you stop to think about that? This is a message that comes from God. Romans 1.16 says that it it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel that you might know, even since a young age, it's not a message from man. It's a revelation from God. So do we think about it like that? And as we look in our passage, um, Paul's going to help us to, to recognize that, right, to, to meditate on that. Um, and so let's read our passage, Galatians 1, we'll be in verses 11 to 24. Galatians 1, starting in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. If you guys want to underline some key verses, those are the two key verses of this passage, verses 11 and 12, verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. I will take this in two parts, all right? Two ways that the gospel is not man's gospel. The first one, uh, is where the gospel comes from, where the gospel comes from. So um, the situation here was that these false teachers, they had come into the Galatian churches, and not only did they distort the gospel, but something else they were doing is they were trying to discredit Paul's apostleship. Okay, remember last time we said that Galatians was one of the earliest, if not or one of the earlier, if not the earliest epistles to be written in the New Testament. And so knowing that, I want you to try to just imagine the landscape of the early church, right? The religious landscape. The the church is just starting to be established. You have this new message, this new movement of Christianity that's just beginning. It's being spread by the preaching of the gospel, um, by Jesus' own apostles. And remember how we defined apostle? Um, Apostle is just someone who was sent, um, or specifically someone... Who was personally sent or commissioned by jesus himself right so his 12 apostles um and and they're the ones that are spreading the gospel and so these judaizers were saying about paul or what they were saying about paul was that he was not one of them you're not one of those legit apostles you're not like peter james and john who had actually been with jesus they accused paul of being this like second great apostle with this secondhand gospel. They said he was out of step um, with those who were in Jerusalem. And that word is going to come up in our passage. Um, and, and later on in chapter two, that's where the, the legit apostles were, all right? Jerusalem. And so these Judaizers were accusing Paul of having derived his gospel from them, right? Secondhand. And then like a game of telephone, distorted it and changed it and come up with this, like, errant an inferior version of the gospel. And if you think about it, this is ironic because this is like exactly what the Judaizers are doing, right? And they're accusing Paul of having done this. Um, and so in these first two chapters of Galatians, Paul is responding to that. And as we just read in our passage, he talks about his salvation testimony. He talks about this like supernatural, amazing transformation from being a persecutor of the church to this preacher of the gospel. Uh, and we'll get to that in our second point. But before we get there, he also talks about like these kind of seemingly random travel plans. You know, he says, I was here and I was there. Uh, He says, you know, I was here for this long. I knew like this person. I didn't know these people. And we read that and it seems kind of unimportant. um, But why does he do that? Right. Like, what's the point of this? Well, his point is he's trying to show us where his gospel comes from. At verse 12, I say that's an important verse for a passage. She says, I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you actually look up at verse one, he's, he says something really similar, right? Not from man, but through Jesus Christ, uh, specifically a revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you're not familiar with Paul's life, um, with his story, Acts chapter nine actually tells us about this revelation. Um, this is Paul's origin story, so to speak, right? In that passage, it says that Paul is on his way to Damascus um, and, and he's actually there or he's going there in order to arrest Christians, right? In order to drag them um, to prison. And Jesus on the way to Damascus supernaturally reveals himself to Paul. Uh, and Paul is known as Saul back in that passage. And you guys might know this, right? Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And what does Paul say? He says, oh, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And elsewhere in Scripture, um, Paul, you know, he actually does acknowledge himself that compared to these other apostles who were with Jesus, that he uh, was last of all. That like he calls himself one untimely born in First Corinthians 15 eight to nine. But during Jesus's lifetime, Paul was never with him because he was still lost in his sin. Right. He was still a, a Pharisee, right, lost in his rebellion. But Paul does refer back to this experience in Acts 9, and he says, I saw Jesus right? on the Damascus Road. I met the resurrected Jesus, and it was there where he commissioned me as an apostle. And so if you look back in our, back in our passage, that's what he's talking about in verses 15 to 16. Uh, Paul says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born... who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. And then here's his commission as an apostle, right? In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Um, On your own time, you can write down Isaiah 49.1 and Jeremiah 1.5. If you have time later, when you compare those passages to this passage here, you'll see that Paul is actually borrowing language from when God commissioned his Old Testament prophets, right? When when Paul says that he was called, he was set before, set apart before he was born, uh, how he was appointed a prophet to the nations. Uh, you know what Gentiles means? It just means nations. And so there's a lot of actually prophetic language here, uh, and I won't get too much into that, but what does that show us? Well, that this is the kind of authority that Paul had as an apostle that God was commissioning him. He had received the gospel, not secondhand from any man, but Paul had received his commission, right? His calling as an apostle straight from the source of God himself. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 12, he says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, right? So in, in other words, beyond just like how I first got that message, how I first heard that message, Beyond just my origins as an apostle, my gospel also was not influenced or derived from anyone. I was not taught it. And that's actually the point of all of these details about his traveling. Um, if you want to write down a word, you can write independence. That's his point here. Uh, for example, first uh, verses 16 to 17, he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So Paul is saying, okay, after I had my revelation, he didn't go to Jerusalem where all the other apostles were to like verify with them, to confer with them. Um, But actually, he went away to Arabia. And what he did there, we don't know. Maybe he meditated on his revelation more. Maybe he was preaching the gospel. But the point is he didn't go like after the fact and go verify with the other apostles. Verses 18 to 20, he says after three years, uh, he finally went to Jerusalem and finally like he he met with Cephas or Peter. Uh, he met with him for 15 days and that's not a significant amount of time. Okay, his point is, yeah, sure, they, they like probably talked about the gospel, you know, they talked about Jesus and their faith, but it wasn't long enough. It wasn't like a substantial enough amount, amount of time to learn the gospel from him, right? That's not where he got the gospel from. And then he says, on top of that, besides Peter, the only other apostle that Paul met was James, right? The Lord of, or the brother uh, of Jesus. And then verses 21 to 24, he says, after Jerusalem, Paul goes to Syria and to Cilicia, which is like really far North. And it says that he was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that they had never met him. They didn't know what he looked like. They only heard um, by word of mouth. And so do you guys get the point here? Paul says, I got my gospel from Jesus Christ himself. I didn't get it secondhand. No one taught it to me. No one influenced me. No one gave me a version of it. I got it from Jesus Christ himself. Now, to be clear, is Paul saying that he didn't consult with anyone, right? Like he didn't verify with anyone Like, after all, isn't it a good thing, you know, to have someone, like, check your work, right, to just verify you're not going crazy? Uh, Like, if I was prepping for a sermon and I came up with my own, you know, novel interpretation of this passage that no one ever has heard before, is that a good thing? No, right, probably not. That's not going to be a good interpretation. And Paul is actually going to get to this later on in in Galatians 2, 1 to 10. Paul does go to Jerusalem a second time. He says... 14 years later and there he he goes that second time to meet with those who were influential those were the apostles Um, and he says he goes there to set before them the gospel in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain so he says you know I did go eventually and I set my gospel before them and after conferring with them at the end of that visit um, it shows that they're in agreement on the gospel. Right. Paul and these other apostles are in agreement. They have that same gospel. How does that happen? Right. If Paul and the other apostles had received their authority, their commission independently, like Paul says, then how did they arrive at a unity in their message? And it's because they both received the gospel from Jesus Christ. Right. The same source. And so, again, this is this point. This is not man's gospel, but from God himself. Now, what does this mean for us? I mean, none of us are apostles um, like Paul was. None of us are going to receive uh, supernatural revelation in the same way that Paul did. You know, a lot of what Paul says about his experience here is unique to him as someone with apostolic authority. And yeah, all of that is true. We are not on you know, the same status as Paul was, but we do have the same gospel. Right. We do have the same gospel because it's been written down in Scripture by them for us. Right. We do have the same gospel because it's been passed down and it's been preserved and it's been protected for us. This is why Paul is so indignant at the beginning of Galatians about these false teachers distorting this gospel message, right. because this is from God. You know, this is not from man. This is why he says in Galatians two five to them these false teachers. We did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Or This is why he says in Galatians 1.10, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And basically, I'm like, I'm upset about this. I'm speaking like straight to you guys. I'm not mincing my words because this is the gospel of God right? If I were after the opinions of men, I wouldn't care about this. And this is why we, like Paul, we care about gospel purity, why we heed the words in Jude 3, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Because the gospel is God's gospel. It's not human invention. It's not human tradition. It's not men's thoughts and meditations on who God is. It is God's good news to man. If the gospel was from man, then it would make sense right, to change it. It would make sense to, to tweak it or to improve it or to add to it, right? To make it more culturally relevant, maybe even to make it more appealing to human ears. But if the gospel is God's gospel, then it means that there's an authority to it. There's a, a gravitas to it. There's a serious seriousness to it. There's there's a, a purity where you protect it, you don't change it, right? And if the gospel is God's gospel, it means that to accept it or to reject it is to do that to the person of God himself. It's not just rejecting a message, it's rejecting God, right? It means that the stakes are high when it comes to the gospel. It's literally heaven and hell itself. But it also means that for us as Christians, if the gospel is God's gospel, then we can trust it. We can trust the gospel. It is solid ground that we can stand on. I know for you guys, I know you only need to just scroll through your news feeds, look on Instagram, and you can just get a taste of the different messages, the different um, gospels, so to speak, that this world offers. Right, Things like uh, just look within yourself right, or love yourself um, or, or mindfulness right, or like five steps to a better you. And these things aren't like evil per se, right? But they come from man. All, what they all have in common is that they are from human beings. And so inevitably, it's going to be man-centered, right? It's going to be, okay, do this, achieve this, be like this. What we need is someone to come in from the outside, right? To speak to us from the outside. We need God to speak truth into our reality, And I think it's helpful for us to be reminded um, of passages like 1 Corinthians 1, 18 um, or 23, where it says that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The word of the cross is a stumbling block. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 21, the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, but it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. To human ears, the gospel is foolishness. I think for us, it can be tempting uh, for like to turn to evidence, to turn to reasoning, um, to turn to our own thoughts as a rubric for the gospel, right? As a rubric for what makes sense, what is good and right, and and that's not a bad thing per se, right? Evidence and reasoning—that's why that's why we have apologetics. We have a reasonable faith but at the end of the day, what sets the gospel apart from all other messages is that it is from God. It is not man's good news about God. It's God's good news to man. It's not man trying to feel his way to God. It's God graciously revealing himself to us in his son, Jesus Christ, there's a, there's a second line of argument that Paul makes here um, in our passage. And if this first point was, you know, Paul's more like kind of heady, objective, um, ethos-based argument, then you can think of this second point as Paul's appeal from his heart. Okay, This is more like pathos. Um, and that's our second point, what the what the gospel does. When you think about the false teaching of the Judaizers and what Paul shares about his background and conversion here in our passage, um I think we realize that this is incredibly personal to Paul. Okay? Paul is not just like doing his like job duty, you know, as an apostle, this like just the circumstances, who he was, what this controversy is about. I think we realize this is extremely personal to him, right? This really hits home. He says, this is not man's gospel because you look at my life. This is a second wave argument. you look at my life. And there is absolutely no way that any man-made gospel can explain what happened verse 13 for you have heard of my former life in judaism how i persecuted the church of god violently and tried to destroy it and i was advancing in judaism beyond many of my own age among my people so extremely zealous was i for the traditions of my fathers and so he's talking about his his former life there right who he was before christ And his former life was defined by religious zeal. Um, He says in Judaism, he says that twice. Um, There's another passage in Philippians 3 where Paul kind of says the same thing. And uh, he talks about the kind of person that he was. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He even calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, Verse 14 in our passage, he says he was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his own age. In other words, Paul was top-notch, right? He was cream of the crop. He was on the dean's list um, or honor roll or regent scholar or whatever it might be, right? Some of you guys are actually on there. He was like you, right, in your equivalent. But Paul was the best of the best. And and that phrase, traditions of my father's, uh, he he says, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. That phrase there is a contrast to what we just talked about in our first point. traditions of my fathers is referring to this human teaching and tradition um if you're familiar with who the pharisees were uh if you didn't know the word pharisee just means uh like separatist or separate ones um and that spoke to the kind of people they were right they were so fastidious with law keeping that they would build this hedge around the law so you had god's law then you had what the pharisees added onto it and they did that because Uh, They wanted to make sure they wouldn't even get close to breaking the law. And so they just added laws on laws and laws on laws and laws. And in fact, that zeal and that commitment for Paul was so all-consuming that he says in our passage, he persecuted the church of God. Those are Christians, but He persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I think many of you, uh, if you're like me, you grew up at church, you know Um, The story of Paul, maybe you, uh, I don't know, you saw like a flannel graph of it, right, or coloring book of it. You've seen that scene before, right, of Paul, and you know his past, but I think it's still hard to wrap your mind around just the kind of person that he was. And verse 13 says that Paul, in his former life, he was determined not only to persecute Christians, right, to give them a slap on the wrist, but he wanted to wipe out Christianity entirely, He wanted to kill all Christians. And you know what? He thought that he was honoring God. He did this out of his religious zeal. He thought he was doing the right thing. He was a religious terrorist. You know, something I want you to notice about how Paul talks about his former life it's just the direction or the trajectory that he was on, right? Verse 14 kind of gives us a picture of that. It says he was advancing in Judaism. He was already at the top and only going higher, right? We see it in these verbs too. They're in the imperfect tense, which means they're ongoing action, right? Not just the one-time thing, but this characterized just the kind of person that he was. You know, for us often, when we hear um, people share their testimonies, we think, or we often hear, you know, phrases like, "Oh, God was was planting a seed, right?" Or like, "God was kind of softening my heart um, through, like, I don't know, like VBS or Sunday school or this conversation that I had with a friend. Uh, God was kind of doing work, right, through small small moments years before, like when I actually became a Christian." Um, and that's true right and god does work that way that the seed of the gospel can take time to bear the fruit of saving faith but at least here with the apostle paul that was not the case at all that was not the case at all paul was running headlong into hell right indifferent to the cost like we just said there was no crisis of faith that that Paul had that made him like, oh, let me think about this again. Let me reconsider. There was no second thoughts. There was no internal struggle. Paul was dead set on his hatred towards Christians. He was barreling forward in his sin like a freight train. I mean, think about what he was doing when Jesus saved him. He was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and God literally had to knock him down to the ground to stop him. He saved him. In that moment. And when you think about the kind of person that Paul was. How in the world did his life change the way that it did? Right? Was it human persuasion? Was it human effort? In no way. right? Paul was smarter than everyone else was. Than everyone else. How in the world did he end up on the side of those he was trying to wipe out? Look at verse 15. There's a shift in the verbs here. Okay, before this, it's Paul was doing all these things. Verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. And in that instant, when God was pleased to reveal his son to him, Paul's life was overturned. In that instant, his life was changed forever. And I'm sure prior to that point, Paul knew who Jesus was. He knew the facts about Jesus, only to reject them as blasphemy, right? Only to reject them as this false teaching of Judaism. And yet in that moment, when God revealed Jesus Christ to Paul, his eyes were opened. And Paul, in that moment, came to the realization that he had built his entire life the thing that he had built his entire life on, this religiosity, this getting right with God by keeping the law, that all of that was bankrupt. That all of that was going nowhere. And I think about it. The gospel message wasn't some just like alternative way that Paul had never considered before. Right? The gospel message was the complete opposite of all that Paul believed and stood for. Because the gospel says you cannot be good enough with your law keeping, right? The only way that you can be right before God is by recognizing that you're not, that you, the only way to be right before God is by coming to Christ, not the law. And yet in that moment, God saved him. And Paul turned to that gospel. And we said earlier that Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, it's something that, that we probably shouldn't expect for ourselves. You know, it's something uh, unique to Paul as an apostle uh, and probably for, men, for most of you, like, your salvation testimony doesn't even come close uh, to just being, like, or seeming that spectacular, right? It's not that dramatic. Um, you, maybe for many of you, you grew up going to church. You came to trust in the gospel um, at an early age. And I praise God for that. And 2 Corinthians 4, 6 does say that however and whenever you came to trust in Christ, that it is a supernatural work of God. what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus is in some sense, a picture of what happened to us spiritually, right? When God opened our eyes, it is his miraculous work. And just in second Corinthians four, six says that just as God did in creation, uh, just as God spoke and there was light in the darkness, right? God spoke the light into the darkness of our hearts and he helped us to see and to know the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so for you, when you think about just how you became a Christian, you might be able to trace, or you might be able to recount the events and the circumstances that led to you becoming a Christian. But Why? What caused you to become a Christian? It's nothing but the sovereign grace of God. Right? That is what saved you. It's no human explanation. It's, it's not man's gospel. I mean, I think this shows us something about just the nature of what the gospel does to someone. Like we said earlier, a human gospel, it might address external change. You know, it might give you some sort of behavior, behavior modification. It might tell you, you know, five ways to improve yourself. But the gospel of Christ, the gospel from God, it isn't about making good people better. It's about making sinful people new. Right? It's about making dead people alive. When God is pleased to reveal his son to you, he takes your heart of stone and replaces it with the heart of flesh. I want to point out, look at just uh, verses 15 and 16. I want to point out some of the the words that he uses there. So Paul says, "Um, God set me apart. And I think that's interesting because we said earlier that the Pharisees, they thought of themselves as set apart. Right? They thought that they were set apart by their keeping of the law. But Paul now understands that God is the one who sets them apart. Right? God is the one who chose him for salvation. When did he do that? Well, Paul continues, before I was born, who called me by his grace. Right? Even before Paul was born, even before Paul could do anything to merit God's favor, even before Paul could obey any single commandment, God chose him. Right? Even, even when Paul was so utterly lost in his sin, he says, God called me by his grace. And then he says, God was pleased to reveal his son to me. That word pleased. And I think about that. What pleases God? And what makes God happy? What quickens his heart? And what were the Judaizers saying? What was their answer to the question? Well, if you want to please God, you keep the law. If you want to please God, then you'll be good. You'll be a good person. You'll observe circumcision and these festivals and these things like that. But Paul says, you know what pleases God? It pleases God to graciously save sinners, right? It pleases God to reveal his son to sinners in need. And God did not begrudgingly save Paul. It pleased him to do so. God didn't say, you know, wow, Paul, like, look at how messed up you are. Like, I really did you a favor. You really owe me one. No, God doesn't hold Paul's former life up as this mark against him, but as a testimony to his grace. It pleases him to do so. I mean, look at verses 23 and 24. It says, they were. Only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. You follow follow the logic in those verses. Why did they glorify God? Because of the transformation in Paul's life. Because of God's grace in Paul's life. From a persecutor of the church to a preacher of the gospel. Now, if you've been here at Lighthouse, um, you know that we, we really love to hear testimonies um, from those in our church. For me, baptism services are some of my favorites because um, we get to hear how these brothers and sisters who are getting baptized, how they came to faith right, in Jesus Christ, um, how they got saved. And for me, I actually like the, the 9 a.m. service because you get to hear like the, the candidates themselves um, share their own story. And then um, the 11 o'clock is special too because they get baptized, but I like to watch, actually, like the baptism candidates hear their own testimony being read, and usually it's you know by someone near and dear to them, Um, and you just like look at their face and you can tell like they are just marveling at the grace of God in their life, and they are just in amazement and so grateful that God would change them, that God would reveal Himself to them. Have you ever thought? I know we're we're used to testimonies, we love them. But have you ever thought about how strange it is, right? how, how weird it is for someone to get up on stage and to share about how messed up they were in the past, to share about their, their darkest, their most personal parts of themselves in their former life, and, and to like tell that to a, a room full of people at church, right? nonetheless. I mean, why do we do that? Why is that not weird for us? It's because we understand that in the gospel, right, your, your former life, your shameful former life, has been transformed into a story of God's grace. That as a Christian, you can look back at your past and yeah, you can feel this healthy sense of, uh, of, of regret and you can grieve over the sting of sin. I think that's appropriate. And yet, you can look at that and you can rejoice that God saved you from that. You can be honest about who you were, because you were no longer defined by your former life, however shameful it might be. And the gospel of grace frees us to be honest about ourselves, even to use our personal stories to help others to understand God's story of salvation in Christ. And that's the power of a testimony. And you as a Christian, you can say along with Um, the words of john newton he said newton he said i am not what i ought to be i'm not what i want to be i'm not what i hope to be but still i'm not what i once used to be and by the grace of god i am what i am so begin what does that look like what does that sound like for you when you think about who you once used to be what characterized your former life who or who or what did you live for what was your life centered around? Like we say often here at Lighthouse, um, your answer to that question before you were a Christian, it doesn't have to be like this explicitly bad thing, you know, this like vice, um, like drugs or alcohol or illicit relationships or money or greed. Uh, And maybe for some of you, like, if you're honest, that was what your life was about. And praise God that he saved you from that, right? But for many of you, it might be just something like, well, my life was about being well-liked. You know, my life was about the approval of others, or success, or security, or comfort, or pleasure. And so what is that for you? What did God save you from, right, personally? And then how did God change you? When people look at your life, what would they say about you? Verse 23 and 24, he or she who used to, what, fill in the blank, is now, what, what is the change in your life? And it says, Paul says, they glorified God because of me, right? Because they see this difference in your life. And for most of us, your transformation as a Christian might not be as quick, might not be as obvious or dramatic as Paul's life. Uh, like we just said, you're not what you ought to be. You're not what you want to be, but you are not who you used to be. And so, so what are those personal and specific areas of change? I think we can be honest about those, right? Not without being prideful, because those are trophies of God's grace in your life. Those are opportunities for you to remember that this gospel does not come from man, but it comes from God. Like he, only he could do that in your life. And these are opportunities for others to look at your life and to praise God, to glorify God. I want to go back to that question that I asked you at the beginning. What is the gospel to you? Right? When you think about the gospel itself, this thing that you, if you're a Christian, you, you placed your faith in that you believe. How do you think about what the gospel is? And I hope that Paul in our passage has, has bolstered your confidence in this message that we believe in. This is not man's gospel, but it's God's gospel. And so that means it's trustworthy, right? It means that this is worth staking your life on. And it also means that this gospel is personal that this gospel has done a work in your life. And I think Paul really got that. Right? He's not, like I said, he's not just doing his duty as an apostle, but I think this really hit home for him. It never grew old to him. He says, look at my life. How do you explain that? Um, turn to 1 Timothy 1. We'll just close by reading this passage. 1 Timothy 1. This is another um, passage where Timothy, or where Paul shares his testimony. Timothy 1, starting in verse 13. It says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That I received mercy for this reason, that in me, right, Paul's life, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe. That's all of us. In him for eternal life. He's saying, if God can save me, he can save anyone. Right? This is not man's gospel. This is God's gospel. Verse 17, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you that this gospel that we believe in, that it does not come from us, it does not come from any man, but it comes from you. And I mean, because it comes from you, we know that that is just an act of grace on your part, uh, that you would reveal yourself. You would give us the solution. You would give us the way to eternal life and um, the means to relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray for just my brothers and sisters in this room that you would just give them a confidence um, in the message that they believe in, that they would know that uh, it's, it's trustworthy. They can build their life on it. They can be bold and courageous with it, um, that they would be wise and discerning with it, um, and that they would also just be able to reflect on their own lives and, and look at the ways that you have changed them um, because of this gospel message. And so as we break off into just our discussion groups, I pray that just for a good time of our fruitful discussion and just, uh, yeah, just worshipful conversations um, around your gospel. We thank you. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.